0: Hey guys, my guest tonight, Brett Eichenberger and Toby Jobson are going to be talking about their documentary, which focuses on Bigfoot and the paranormal. Be right back. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing tonight? I hope you say great. I think I hear you saying great. I have like eagle ears on, right? Eagle ears, eagle eyes. I don't know. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm making my adjustments. There we go. And I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Hots Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means we can help you. It might take us a while to get to you. California is a big state. We've got mountains. We've got you know, We've got valleys. Well, of course you got valleys. We've mountains and valleys. We've got oceans, you know, a lot of coastland. We've got uh, high desert, low desert, and a lot of rural areas, which is why it might take us a couple of days to get to you, but in that case we do have psychics on staff who can call you and uh, do a discussion with you about what may or may not be going on. And in most cases, they can settle the activity down until we can get to you. Again, it would only take Maybe two or three days for us to get out to you because of the size of the state. But we'll always get to you. Anyway, welcome tonight. Our topic tonight, something near and dear to my heart. You know, you guys know I love having uh, Sasquatch investigators on, You know, researchers. I love having those guys on. Um, I lived up near Happy Camp for a while. And it was just interesting because I would go to the local diner and sit there. And the, and the researchers would be coming in from the field. And it was fun because they would come in and have dinners and stuff and I and I, I would be able to listen to what they had experienced out in the field. So I'm really excited to have these two gentlemen on today because they've got this doc, this great documentary. They, they've made one documentary before this and now this is a second documentary about the big guy. So I'm excited about that. If you're watching from Facebook tonight, and a lot of you are, please be sure to hit that follow button if you haven't done so already. Um. Uh, Always looking for followers. Always looking to build up, right? Always, always, always keep that momentum going. Also, if you're watching and you like what you see, please be sure to hit a thumbs up, uh, smiley heart, whatever. Show me some love. Show me some love of how you've about the show. Because what that does is Facebook has what they call the FYP. Okay? And when Facebook sees you doing smileys and stuff like that, and even commenting in the chat room, uh, it takes notice. And it it grabs our show and puts us out further. To other people, I mean, way out on Facebook, okay? So that helps me out, right? So I, know. so yeah, so if you could do that, that would be great. Same thing with YouTube. YouTube works similar. If you haven't done so already and uh, you haven't checked out our our YouTube site, it's youtube.com forward slash at California Hots Radio. There's over 800 videos sitting over there, and it's all different topics. Uh, cryptids, right? Uh, everything you could think of. And there's so many videos that it used to give me a headache when I went in to even look things up. So I turned around. And i'm still in the process of doing this 800 videos i'm still in the process of putting them into folders of, under individual topic so if you want to find something say on sasquatch you can go into a cryptid file you like medium nancy mats boom she has her own file over there anything you can think of alien abductions it's all there so that's the easy way to find stuff on the youtube site and again if you haven't done so already please subscribe we're trying to hit our thousand subscribers uh, hopefully by January 1st, uh, we're about 250 away right now. So we're real excited about that. We're getting there. we got a big following on Facebook, and I want to thank everybody on Facebook that follows us. I think you guys don't realize it, but we've got over 5,000, more than 5,000 people following us on Facebook right now. So I'm real excited about that. You guys have been really dedicated, so thank you. Uh, TikTok, I've got 2,500 people following me. So we're building up, building up. Just like, you know, you're sitting at home, you're watching the show, and maybe your cousin comes in the house. It's the holidays, right? You know, say, hey, there's this little show over here that is really good, and I keep watching it. Check it out. That's the way you do it. Like I always say at the end, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated us tonight, share it with five of your enemies. We're just trying to get the word out, okay? All right, you can find us. (laughs) <laughs> Along that line, again, you can find us on Facebook under California Haunts, California Haunts Radio, Sacramento Sears, S E E R S, as in Greek Sears. You can find us over on Instagram under uh, Ghosty Gal. That's all lowercase. You can, again, I give you the YouTube address is youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. You can find us at TikTok under California Haunts. You can find us at Twitch under Cal Haunts and on Twitter under California Haunts. And, of course, we do have a meetup site, California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team. Okay, now that I'm out of breath, my two guests are going to be talking about their new documentary, and I'm really excited to have them on. I heard them on another show, and uh, they've got a lot of cool evidence to talk about. So without further ado, I'm going to bring them on, and they can tell you a little bit about themselves and uh, what they're doing. So here we go. Hello. Hey Charlie,
1: how's it going?
0: I'm out of breath now. Future. Tell me about <laughs> your
1: <laughs> I love your hat, by the way. Your hat is fantastic. I feel Thank like you. I need a, a hat,
0: a Christmas hat. <laughs> Thank you. This is it's it says um cre- uh, creepy holidays. Cre- creeping <clears throat> holidays, yeah.
1: It's amazing. Great yeah. film. Great film. I love Thank
0: it. Thank you. Thank you. So tell me about you guys.
1: So um I'll let Tobe tell you about Toe, but I will quickly just uh, just say that you know I'm a filmmaker, I've been a filmmaker for most of my life, and I've done narrative films, scripted films, and uh, I've always had a fascination with Bigfoot going back to when I was a little kid, you know, some 40, some odd years ago. And uh, we had a chance to finally do a documentary about Bigfoot. And when I say we, I'm talking about my wife, Jill Remensnyder, who's the producer mm-hmm. of both of these films. And we had a chance to do a Bigfoot documentary because she has a love for Bigfoot just like I do. And so we started a Flashy Beauty Bigfoot Revealed uh, during the pandemic year of 2020. And it's been craziness and new discoveries and
2: adventures ever since.
0: Fantastic. And Toby, you're a researcher, correct?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, for me, it started as a question, whether or not mysteries could be uh, followed up on. I lived in a little town of Springfield, Oregon, and it was just one of those things. You didn't grow up in the Pacific Northwest without hearing about Sasquatch. And so I found that, you know, over time that uh, you could find tracks, you could meet witnesses, and these would maybe coalesce with an eventual experience yourself Uh, I never really thought I'd have a sighting. Um, Uh It just seemed in the beginning so elusive. Uh, You know, five-second sightings are pretty common, roadside crossings. It was kind of like hitting the lottery. But what I've come to find out um, is that, you know, Bigfoot doesn't seem to be a rare occurrence. And that should shock the hell out of people that this is not a rare phenomenon. We'll we'll talk a little bit about why that is.
0: Sure, sure. I remember my first, I I, you know, I I never went out, you know, on, on on a research investigation, but I did, you know, my, my family was outdoorsy, so we would hang out in Mount Rainier, you know, like I said, Happy Camp, you know, had a lot of stuff going on at Happy Camp with us, but I remember that's how I got into it, because I remember I didn't even know what it was till we made a trip up to Mount Rainier, and you know, we, and we went through these these towns that have these statues, and I thought, what is this thing, right? So I got my first book, the Bigfoot Casebook, up in Mount Rainier, and I must have been all about probably eight or nine. And then it took off from there because people used to laugh at me because I memorized all the stories. You know, and <laughs> then when then when we moved up you know up to Northern California and had the chance to you know really spend a lot of time in happy camp and sitting with the researchers up there, I really got into it more and more. So I'm really
1: curious about your happy camp experiences, Charlotte, because um Jill and I passed through happy camp uh, last June on our way down to the Patterson Gimlin site. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, I, <laughs> I gotta say we kind of blinked and missed it. Um, yeah. Not a lot up there and it's just kind of way out of the way, but uh, yeah, same thing of, of like what you were saying with researchers and stuff, man, that's a, it's a really active area up there.
0: Oh Yeah. And I remember, you know, there was one guy. He's probably still up there. I can't remember who it is now because it's been a while since I've been up there. But he had, this, in fact, my car is 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 green. It's a Center View line, So it's it's like we were green color. He had a he had a big old SUV like that, with Sasquatch Investigator on the side. So I don't know who the hell it was, but it it was always impressive when he came in because you could, you could hear it barreling in, you know, mm-hmm. and it came out of the woods. Um, yeah, it was interesting because the they, they, they would the, there's a museum there. A Sasquatch museum—they've got footprints there and stuff—and they would also all hang out. Like, like, they would come out of the field hungry, so they would go to the diner and they and they would sit there and tell war stories. You know, sitting around the tables, and that's what made it fun. Because I would always, you know, wait for them to come in, so I could hear the stories about their encounters and whatnot, and it just made it even more intriguing for me. I just yeah. wish I would have gone out with somebody. I just didn't do it at the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's never too late. It's never too late. Yeah. And just just to interject, I may know who that SUV Sasquatch investigator is <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: I know a guy that lives, and I think Tobe might know him too. But his name is Jerry Hine, and he's got something that is very similar to that, and he lives not far from there. So I and I know Jerry's been out there. So yeah,
0: that's that might have been him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who I remember, well, I remember being a paranormal investigator too, and. You know, when when you're a ghost investigator and stuff, you know, Sasquatch is like on the fringe for us, right? And I remember Mm -hmm. the first time we went out there and I told my family, I said, God, don't tell them I'm a paranormal investigator. Don't tell them, you know. Mm -hmm. But then after we started going on a few times, I thought, oh, hell, I want to hear about this stuff. So off off I went listening to these guys and stuff. So, Toby, you mentioned having a sighting.
2: Well, yeah, so you know, these things take time if you're looking for it. That's that's kind of the weird thing about Bigfoot. The harder you look for it, the more elusive the phenomena gets. But yeah. Um, you know, it started with some footprints in the little town of Springfield, Oregon, circa nineteen or two thousand and five. And then it ended with um, you know, if you're gonna see Bigfoot, you might as well see its big feet. And so mm-hmm. I was I was lucky enough to see um what can only be a sasquatch as far as i'm concerned from the shins down behind my jeep and um you know there wasn't much else to say about the sighting except for the fact that it it ran through the gravel in -hmm. front of uh, the driveway without making a sound which we kind of come to realize was a possibility um for something that large it really shouldn't be Right. But, you know, it being as close as it was, I should have absolutely heard it. And,
0: mm-hmm.
2: again, we can talk about why that may be. We kind sure. of get into that in this documentary.
0: Absolutely. In fact, I wanted to ask you, you did the first documentary, and what made you decide to do the second documentary?
1: Uh, the second documentary really kind of came out of the fact that we were getting these stories when we were doing the first documentary, and we quickly realized we couldn't fit everything into, into one film. You know, mm-hmm. so basically we we were going to try and capture the entire Bigfoot experience. And, you know, a month or two into the process of shooting the first film, you know, we thought, you know, this this is clearly going needing to be two films, which mm-hmm. is fitting because the Bigfoot community is sort of semi divided, if you will, between the quote unquote woo and the flesh and blood. And so the first film is more concentrated on the flesh and blood and um, teases the them a little bit, if you will. And then the second film's all about all the paranormal stuff that so many people have experienced, you know, and, it, and I don't have any sort of numbers or data on the experiences, sure. but I would probably bet that it's three or maybe even four out of five experiences. Maybe, maybe a little bit less than that if you, mm-hmm. if you count the road crossings and things like that. But there's definitely something paranormal uh, or something that we don't have the science to explain
3: that going on.
0: When you guys talk about paranormal in relation to Bigfoot, I know, you know, there's stories of, of of like a blue light, you know, him appearing out of a blue light or going into a blue light, blue orbs float, you know, floating around. What do you classify as, as paranormal as far as he's concerned?
1: Um gosh, I think paranormal is anything that that science can't really explain right now. And that's kind of a fuzzy area because uh, quantum mechanics, quantum physics, which is just super complicated, you know, and a lot of opinion. I think a lot of scientists agree with that. Um, is kind of on the fringe. I mean, there's a lot of things right now that scientists have verified that that would to the normal person be classified as paranormal. Just really strange things that, that it can do. And so I think that you know people have to realize that you know, it, it's easier to kind of lump the paranormal into, like, scary stuff, like witchcraft and right. devil worship. And, you know, and really, it's not, you know, you, you look back in human history, and that's kind of what people have done through generations is, if you can't explain it, then it must be evil. And that's not really the case. Right. Um, this, is, this is why it's so important for us to understand this and study this. I mean, there was a time in human history, the electricity had kind of had that same kind of feeling, you know, like lightning was punishment from the gods. And we know that that's not the case, but
3: mm-hmm.
1: so, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of dividing everything. I mean, you know, if people see a cloaked Sasquatch or can barely see a cloaked Sasquatch and orbs and stuff like that, we're trying to say, Hey, look, there's a science behind this.
0: Absolutely. Now, you know, what, what do you think? I mean, honestly, let's, let's talk about this as far as, you know, So this thing is elusive, but I mean, there's a lot of woods out there, too. You know, there's a lot of mountain rages out there, but it does seem to be elusive. So do you guys think it's coming from, you know, it's it's coming from aliens or where do you think this thing might be coming from?
2: I don't know if it takes the woods to really appreciate this phenomenon, which may shock a lot of people. A, this phenomenon is not rare. And B, the woods are only the beginning of the story. Um, Yeah, you can have an experience behind the tree line. But the witnesses um, that I've talked to in private and now in public, uh, and Brett can confirm this, is that this stuff will follow you home. Uh, The hitchhiker effect is something that people are familiar now because of the Lower Skinwalker Ranch. But when you enter a Sasquatch area, you're entering a place generally where they're comfortable with uh, a thin veil or a portal or an opening.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And Once you get immersed in one of those areas, you kind of have a half life that sticks to you when you Mm -hmm. go back home, especially Mm -hmm. if you're open to it. And if you're entertaining it, if you're negotiating terms of how you guys are going to interact right? Um, and that stuff can, uh, you know, can be tough for the newbie, especially. But I've kind of grown accustomed to it. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a you know. So what is that? I mean, this is this is not supposed to be from the world of science, right? This is, this belongs in the parapsychology uh, world of studying magic, right? And the occult. So there's there's this overlap of the supernatural and Bigfoot. And I really call it magic. Um, I think we're in a really interesting place where science is going to try to explain something that won't allow you to explain it. Mm -hmm. And I think we talk about that again in the documentary because man's ego is super uh fragile and influenced into the decisions they make and whatever the phenomena is doing it loves to shatter men's egos um and i've watched that happen brett's watched that happen it seems to mess with evidence and uh, it won't it won't let you gather enough data on it so um that that goes into the trickster element that the native americans talk to And so that's where I'm at is that we just kind of sit back and wait for this phenomena to present itself. But honestly, I I would love to study this stuff if it would allow me to do it more occasionally. I just think it takes a really unique spot to do that. And I I don't think I live in that spot anymore.
1: Yeah. And I just want to, I just want to kind of build on what Tob had to say there. You you know, this is an, an expect the unexpected. Once you, once you really dive into it, you know, as, case in point, um, in Oregon and Washington, where, where Tove and I both live, wolverines are extremely rare, extremely rare. Um, they're endangered. And, you know, we recently had a, there, recently they caught one on a trail cam up in the Mount Hood National Forest. Well, um, about, I don't know, three months prior to that, someone saw one on the coast of Washington on the beach, which Has zero to do with their habitat. You know, any wildlife biologist would tell you that there would be, there could never be a wolverine on the coast, on the beach, because Mm -hmm. they live in the Cascade mountain range. Number one. Number two, they're so rare that you would never see one if you were hiking through those mountains. Yet there was one on the beach. And guess what? Somebody got crystal clear photographs of it. You know, and had they not gotten crystal clear photographs of it, it would have been just as good as a Bigfoot story because they're that rare. They're that, you know, uh, endangered. And so I think Bigfoot really falls into that same kind of category, you know, and thankfully this this individual had a camera with them. And, you know, a lot of times um, people don't have the peace of mind even to take out a camera when they see something that kind of freezes them and locks them in their tracks. But um, with that being said, You know, that does not make these things rare because there's not photographs of them. There's not visual evidence of them. Like Tobe said, they're out there and they are out of their environment. You know, I heard I heard a a guy talk uh, a few weeks ago in Yakima about how, uh, you know, there's a guy on the the Washington coast that had them living in the like the brush, you know, not the woods, but the brush. And so it's it's like ghosts or anything else. You know, you don't know where you're going to encounter the paranormal. The paranormal can go where it wants to, go where it pleases.
0: <laughs> I've had a guest, you know, along that line. I've had a guest on here, uh, a woman who lives amongst them. They, you know, they live in her area directly. She's not afraid of them. You know, she's she's under the impression that there's a family, you know, living around her, and and she says that, that they bring her gifts.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And stuff like that and She'll even sleep out in the tent You know like several yards from her house Because, because she can hear them out there So I mean Over the years there's, there's very few stories Unless somebody has shot at one Or something like that To where they get physical with anybody I mean they, they seem to be really peaceful yeah. You know when they're out there So I can understand a story like hers You know happening Barbara Shoop, you guys probably know that I've talked with her and it's just fascinating to listen to the story she's got too, as, as well about this. Um, do you think, like you say, uh, like well, let's go to the paranormal, and like you talk about the evidence, you know, not you know, it's hard to get the evidence. Do you think that's what's going on? Because in in the old days, the camera equipment that people had wasn't that great, right? So you can kind of see the explanation for blurry photos and all this. But with the newer camera equipment people have, plus these cell phones now that are really great. We're still getting blurry photos. So do you think that that's part of, like you say, that's part of some kind of paranormal thing that's going on to, to keep everybody from getting these clear photos?
1: Yep, absolutely. And what's interesting is you br- just brought up Barb Shoop, And in our in our film, in our second film, Flashy Beauty Paranormal Bigfoot, we went up to Mount Rainier and talked to Barbara Shoop and talked to her about the cloaking video that she got. Mm-hmm. And if, if you guys haven't seen that video, check out our film because we break it down. But what's so interesting about that video, Charlotte, is that she filmed what she saw with the naked eye was black. Mm-hmm. It was solid. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of people talk about how they see cloaked, you know, individuals or Sasquatch or whatever you want to call them, but they've seen cloaked something or rather in the woods mm-hmm. and it's been cloaked to the naked eye. In this particular case, The cloaking took place to the lens of the camera Mm -hmm. so the lens so the camera uh it somehow manipulated the camera so that it wouldn't have been captured visually which is is kind of mind-blowing if you ask me i haven't heard of that from anybody else i haven't seen that and i you know i would more or less bet my life on this footage being actual cloaked figure because i i cannot debunk it with my visual effects expertise and you know, 25 to 30 years of video work. So yeah, you know, there's there's definitely something up with that, you know, as far as how they're staying invisible, how they're manipulating cameras. It sounds crazy, but I think it's true.
0: Well in these cases like, like with this woman that I've had on, you know, them giving her gifts. I mean, is it possible at all that that you know that that they could actually like her and be be giving her this stuff? Or is this just something that you think is just going on, that that it's it's a natural thing for them to do?
2: It seems like an initiation of some kind. We get into it in part two. Um, I'm familiar with uh, the incremental gifting approach from what can only be described as Sasquatch with the, the latent footprints and handprints and hair samples and sightings. In proximity to where these usually small, lost shiny objects with a mossy patina are set mm-hmm. in unusual places on the mm-hmm. porch, bones, animal kills mm-hmm. um, in the house and locked areas. and, you know, gifts of significance. Uh, you know, if your friend was here with us right now, I would ask her just like, have they brought you something significant to you emotionally or something that you've just mm-hmm. spoken about? so um, you know, you're able to rule out uh, and debunk the debunking that somehow you're being hoaxed because of the fact of these emotional ties of the things and the unique places they they leave them. And I think a lot of people um, don't entertain that to be some something that uh, is worthwhile doing. I really think it is worthwhile doing, because if you leave them something in return, the experience grows. To perhaps an eventual piggyback ride, you know, because this is, this seems to be the way it's going as far as uh, how they gain trust. Um, one of the guys I know, it took, I think it took over two years in his pristine research area for them to accept a food gift from him. Um, that's an awful long time to work in an area, but he knew that they were there and he right. was willing to wait it out. And now that has built on to, you know, full on sightings and according to him, healings of some kind. And we get into that in part one, as far as Sasquatch right. healing possibilities, which segues into part two.
0: Right. The other thing I was just thinking too, is when you talk about their ability to appear and disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I ran into a client of mine, ghost hunting, and she told me, she was a psychic. And she told me that her first encounter with a ghost, I'm going to say ghost, right? this woman was walking across her front yard and to her, it looked like a door had opened mm. and the, this, 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 this being simply stepped up and went through this doorway and that was it disappeared. Mm. I mean, cause these sightings with, with, you know, with Bigfoot, I wonder if it's a similar thing, you know, that's how they're getting in and out
1: um tub's pointing at me like i have an answer but um you know a theory uh i've talked to many people who have seen portals um they've seen portals at skinwalker ranch it's been documented i believe portals are real um there's been a lot of hunters and whatnot that have seen portals and of course david pilates covers touches on on portal uh for some of his missing 411 cases um I don't know that they look like a traditional doorway per, you know, per se, but I I think there's something to that. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I, I definitely do. And I think that, you know, the Sasquatch ghosts, you know, other cryptids, because there are other cryptids out there that occasionally come into this world. I think that that's the way that they're coming into this dimension. I think that they're, that's exactly what they're doing is they're traversing through dimensions.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, As a Bigfoot researcher, How hard is it to really get out there and find this evidence? Because, I mean, you're always, and I'm not going to say always, but it's one of those cases like, even me as a newspaper reporter, I go in, when somebody gets murdered, I'm talking with the police, I go in after the fact, you know, and I'm Mm -hmm. trying to pick up the pieces and figure everything out. Is it really difficult to go in after the fact, you know, after there's been a sighting to try and and track down that evidence?
2: It gets exhausting. You know, it's it's kind of a spendy habit if you're driving out to the remote countryside often. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just imagine over a period of five years the burnout that would happen to somebody who's perhaps even looking for the wrong type of evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, looking for battery drains is a big one. Uh, camera malfunctions, uh, hearing strange popping and clicking and door slammy sounds in the middle of nowhere who's looking for that in the Bigfoot world? Well, if you want to find the truth quicker, you look for this crazier stuff. Um, I've talked to a lot of hunters that think this is the nuttiest thing ever. They would never look into the subject matter because they are the alpha predator in the woods, according to them. So if they don't have an experience, how the hell are you from little spring tucky, Oregon, going to ever have a you know what i mean so
3: yeah
2: um it depends what you're looking for but you know one of the guys we talked to is a guy named henry franzoni and in, in part uh one of our documentary in particular and we just released some extra footage of henry and henry was the first person to tell me to go looking for sasquatch and strange place names areas so places that have devil places that have spirit or ghost mountain or skookum Uh, Baboon Creek, how do you think that got its name? These are the places where this, this veil is thinner and Bigfoot exists. This is why the natives or the pioneers named them these areas. And those are the places where you're going to have your mind blown with the evidence. And that's, that's the quicker way, way to do this.
0: Well, yeah, there are places. I agree with you. There are places like up up in Cave Junction, you know, those those ape caves up there, and then, mm. you know places like that where, where there are a lot of sightings. Why do you think? And this is just me, you know. We just talked about these portals and stuff. Why do you think there's there's more sightings in certain areas than others?
1: Um, you know, that probably comes down to just ideal habitat. You know, um, I I think you know we're talking about these things being paranormal, but I think they have a flesh and blood component.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: there's been you know a bunch of witnesses that have seen these things, you know, uh, with deer you know over their shoulders, or they've seen them them you know sneak up behind a deer and crack their neck or what have you. So they're they're obviously eating something. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's been scat samples that have been found. So you know, I mean, you you know, Dr. Meldrum can get get into this. A lot more about how they, uh-huh. you know, they really need a rich biosystem and and whatnot. But that doesn't limit them. Um, there have been sightings in deserts. There's been some sightings in Joshua Tree National Park. And if anybody's familiar with Joshua Tree, there's not a lot of trees out there. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, who knows? But I mean, there's certainly, you know, it's like I've always wondered how there could be hotspots in Ohio because Ohio is. Sure. Uh, you know there's a lot of urban areas in ohio it's a small mm-hmm. state small as compared to california oregon washington
3: mm-hmm.
1: but uh you know that's that's a good question i would encourage folks that are curious about that to go to bigfootmap.com and yeah. scott tompkins has done a great job in fact we just posted on our youtube channel today a flashy beauty bigfoot revealed uh just about an hour and a half ago we posted an interview from the original film with Scott Tompkins, where he he talks about uh, some of the different areas and, and some of the states that have the most sightings. I think Ohio is number three or four. It's way up there. Wow. But, um, I mean, if you, if you know, if, if your listeners out there really like to see data, uh, mm-hmm. that's the place to do it. You know, there was a guy that left a comment saying that he uh, he plans his hikes around what he sees and finds in Bigfootmappingproject.com. So, so i would check it out
2: i mean given ohio real quick the the ohio area is filled with these enigmatic mounds including the serpent mound no one knows who built these mounds uh the native Americans said that they didn't build them uh they seem to go back before the natives uh they have reverence to them but i think that it's uh it's something that they found um there's there's a lot going on in ohio as far as these uh pre-civilizations and i think bigfoot might be attracted to these high energy places where there were civilizations before they've been seen uh, near rock quarries Uh, that makes no sense as far as why they would be hanging out you know on rocky cliffs all the time unless there's something to do with them mining or building Uh, you know maybe it's a hunting ground of some kind or maybe it's an observation point for for people that are down below, something like that, but they, they they just show up in in very strange places. And Ohio is kind of the least of them. Mm-hmm. I've heard of them showing up in uh, close to New York City. Uh, they've been seen in the suburbs. Um, they come into towns like a suburban squatch thing is a is a total phenomena that's underreported. Um, wow. So yeah,
0: I just find this all interesting because, like you say, these sightings vary so much you know, of where they're located. Mm-hmm. How hard is it for you as a researcher to track, like I said, to track this stuff down? You know, when, when, when you're hearing these reports, what what do you go through as, as far as procedure goes to look into all this stuff?
2: Well, you know, I don't know what people did before the internet. It's made everything more confusing, frustrating, um, but it's also made things way easier for the fact that you can kind of, go on TikTok and YouTube and say, hey, you know, there's something going on in Quartzville, Brett, you want to go check it out? So these kind of things pop up all the time. Um, So that part has made things um, a lot easier. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, like I say, it was much more frustrating because, um, you know, I was kind of being a good boy, minding my P's and Q's with the Aper community. And they're basically saying, well, you can't do it this way. And you need to go there and make sure that you you know, do XYZ and Uh, You know, never talk about the crazier stuff because then you're just completely blackballed and um, everything was wrong. It was all upside down and inverted from the truth. Uh, And that just took time to kind of find my rhythm and my crazy, uh, you know, guys that I ended up following, crazy gals, too. And uh, now we're one of them. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Indeed.
0: (laughs) Tell me what it's like to film a documentary because you have to be able to you know, put the pieces together. Are you guys using storyboards to do this or are you just getting out in the field and recording stuff?
1: So doing a documentary is quite a bit different than doing a regular narrative feature film per se, Um, you know, where we cast actors and we write scripts and, Uh you know, like you said, Uh do storyboards, you know, sometimes we will do like a storyboard or a script thing for a documentary, but that's only if we're doing recreations or something. Uh Um, You know, what's really interesting, Charlotte, about both of these documentaries is we just follow leads. You know, it's kind of like none of us are journalists or investigative reporters, but that's Uh kind of what we are in, in, in a sense. I mean, we don't claim to be. We're storytellers and we know how to tell a good story. We're all trained in storytelling. And, you know, Mike, Michael Ferry, our cinematographer, knows how to tell a story in a frame, in a picture. And uh, and really, it's just Jill and Mike and I and sometimes it's just Jill and I on the road wearing you know, a bunch of different hats. We have we wear so many hats. We'd make Mad Hatter sane. I swear it's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a fun time, though, you know, and what's nice about it is we can be quick. We can be nimble. Uh, we can get emotional with our interview subjects. Uh, we typically shoot with two cameras because that makes the interview flow a lot better when you can cut to different angles it doesn't get so 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 stagnant Mm -hmm. and um yeah i mean we just kind of keep our eyes and ears open for really interesting stories we follow leads and you know there's definitely a couple of stories that uh we've shot that haven't had a chance to make it into the documentaries that we hope to bring out later because they just didn't fit in the overall scheme of things but um that's pretty rare, actually. You know, most of the stuff that we shoot ends up in the final film.
0: Is it easier to talk with people now about this subject than it was years ago?
1: Yes, yes, unequivocally. And and that's changing rapidly. That's changing with the... The best thing, I think, that ever happened to us was in December 2017, the New York Times doing a serious article in, on UAPs. Okay. And from that very moment... We started we started seeing a sea change of, you know, folks out there going, well, maybe there's something to this, you know, and why it took so long is beyond me, because, you know, UFOs, Bigfoot and even ghosts to a certain extent are the three biggest stories in human history. I mean, take your pick, you know, Um, and there's a lot of reasons why I I would kind of nudge Bigfoot almost to the very top because of what we're learning now about them and how they're able to. like Tope said earlier on, use their magic and whatnot, you know, Um, and, and Bigfoot of course could be some sort of a relative or a, or a cousin to, to humans. Um, Uh so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, the whole thing is just an adventure. Um, (laughs) and, and it never stops. It just keeps on going. We get stories all the time.
0: Uh Um, as a researcher, Toby, um, (laughs) When you do go out, what, what, what are you looking for? I mean, as far as like evidence or how do how you track the, track it?
2: Well, one of the latest things I'm looking for, like I said, is not only electronic anomalies, mm-hmm. um, and that can happen suddenly. If you have a full thing of batteries when you leave the house and you hop out of the car and they suddenly drain, and they do that a couple times in an area, and then you find evidence like a tree break, or you find what we call leaners which is just a kind of a redneck name for branches that are leaning up against a tree in a stack that to me is 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 a key element also um boulder fields or rock uh, rocky creeks any kind of creek egress where there is a a game trail present uh, those are worth following up on now these are also places where there is a cluster of uh, people that go missing you know that's one of the trademark things that they find is that uh these people that go missing if they're ever found are can be found in and near uh, an abandoned creek system yeah. or a or, or boulder field um so you know i by no means think that sasquatch comes in one variety of being completely benevolent magical harry and the henderson's thing i think uh they they fit the you know personality profile of a of a person, of a human-type subject with, with full-on culture and personality. But there seems to be, um, you know, they're so, they're so good at being sneaky that you can imagine being outwitted and in danger and met at the hands of something like this. Wow. There's a, you know, there's a lot of brutality to, um, to the human species I don't even want to know what these things are capable of <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's it that's very interesting yeah. um you know but i'm just fascinated by by what you do to be able to go out there and, and, and do the research on this mm-hmm. there you know, when you take evidence into somebody like for instance hair samples or maybe even scat who do you go to and <laughs> are they cooperative or how's that work because i would think that you you take you take it to somebody you mainstream and they're going to laugh you out the door
2: yeah i i give all my scat to brett and his wife and they house it for me they're really good at (laughs) that we
0: had to buy a new
2: refrigerator put it in the garage (laughs) they have a special freezer it's (laughs) It's out of control i think i just uploaded a video to TikTok where i was talking to my buddy daryl is you know, the property owner where all this stuff is happening. And in the video, we have an animal mutilation that I'm in question of as it being a gift to us from them. And I say in the video, like, Daryl, you got a freezer? I'm super excited, right? Like, come on, please say you got a freezer, man. We got ourselves a roadkill. And this is the kind of uh, quandary that you find yourself in. Now, I've never found a cattle mutilation, but those are the kind of situations where it's just like, how much evidence do you want to keep? You know, the hair samples obviously are the easiest thing to take, take home with you. But then we interview Mel Skahan, right? One of the Yakima Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And the consequences, and this goes back to what Brett was talking about earlier, earlier about how evidence is hard to, to come by. Well, maybe you're lucky not to have evidence sometime, you know, sometime according to Mel for the fact that there are consequences of these hitchhiker effects following the evidence home. Right, but, right. Uh, you know, we get into that in the documentary as well. So it's uh, it just turns into how, how far do you want to go down the rabbit hole? And I'm right. crazy enough to to really just want to go all the way down the rabbit hole.
0: <laughs> now, when you talk about this, let's get to the hitchhiker effect now. We talked about that briefly in the beginning of the show. What kinds of things happen? I mean, you bring stuff home with you. And what, what kind mm. of experiences do you have?
2: Well, in the case of the, you know, the most typical thing is that objects will show up that, um, you, in my case, there are objects that were spoken of or have something to do with a recent event, you know, an object for an object, a like object near a like object, walking mm-hmm. sticks, for example, uh, on more than one occasion set near other walking sticks or on the company of a conversation. The other day about uh, a walking stick. That's a very common thing for what I would call these Sasquatch experiencers uh, to go through that uh, initiate activity and want to have some kind of relationship with this unseen hairy hand that comes to town once in a while. And um, you know that's that seems to be the way that things go as far as uh, looking out for for the beginning of this. It's just, how far do you want to push this stuff? Because it amps up really quick. And oh, by the way, these experiences uh, gradually grow over time and size and activity. Um, we talked to another witness named Jack who has an amazing encounter and talks about shape-shifting um, and Jack experience. He's got some audio that I don't know anybody who's got audio like this um, witness Jack does. It, it sounds like, it's almost daring him to record it. It goes on and on and on and on and on. And uh, I just think that's the way it goes, is that they give you more and more over time.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking of audio, what do you guys think of the Sierra sounds?
1: You know, I, uh, I'll i just say right now, I think the Sierra sounds are some of the greatest evidence that we have for these things. Um, I think they're 100% authentic, and full disclosure: we are now working on a documentary about the Sierra Downs. That's our next Fantastic. film, and we have already started filming. Uh, we've interviewed some of the other folks that have never gone on camera, and so I've got a I've got a perspective um, just you know just from the past couple of months, you know, going down to Central California and visiting with some of these guys that that you know have been going up there for 30 or 40 or 50 years. Um, a perspective that other people don't have. And I can tell you that uh, it raised the hair on the back of my head to hear what these guys had to say. And, of course, what Ron has to say is is become famous because of the books that he's written.
3: Uh-huh. Um,
1: but there's a lot more to the story. And, um, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that that what they got up there on those recordings is is a family of Sasquatches or a group of Sasquatches that are communicating amongst themselves and trying to initiate some sort of communication with these camper guys. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's like, it's like Scott Nelson, who is in our first film says, you can't fake this. It's impossible to fake this. And if there's anybody that would know that it would be a cryptolinguist from the United States Navy. That's mm-hmm. his job, you know, to know how something like this would be a fake, you know, it's a matter of national security. You know, this isn't just some like fly by night guy. Uh-huh. And Scott didn't believe in Bigfoot prior to this. He you know he could have cared less and when he heard these sounds was able to analyze these sounds he heard something with massive lungs that were making these vocalizations. So yeah, I mean I would encourage everybody to um to look, you know, if you if if there's somebody out there that that kind of really doubts the existence of Bigfoot or if they're on the fence, uh-huh. read Ron's book Voices in the Wilderness because Ron is a 100% straight shooter. Both both Tobe and I Know Ron very well. And he tells it like it is. And he's telling the truth. And um, you know, further on down the road, I think those tapes get more and more important as historical archives.
2: And I think, you Ron- know, I think there is about three or four people that had been sent up to the high sierras to this remote campsite to try to debunk this stuff, including um Joe Hauser, who runs the Montana Vortex. And he was trying to find out, you know, as uh a scientist how they were doing this and um, that you know that wasn't Scott Nelson's initial thought is, is mm-hmm. he was hearing something that sounded fake as a, a crypto linguist and a voice expert mm-hmm. uh, he was shocked that he heard language and that's what's so shocking about this is that this is what people have been saying including Albert Ostman since uh, the turn of the century right. is that they have this you know, it's, it sounds like samurai chatter, right? They, that's right. what they call it, so, like an old so samurai that. movie. But mm-hmm. it also kind of sounds, and this is what other witnesses say, and and you can hear that in the, um, the Sierra sounds, is you can hear, um, it almost sounds like a deaf person trying to communicate. It's always right out of earshot, but it's close enough to where you can hear it. Um, and, you know, Ron has the, like mm-hmm. Brett says, it is the Patterson Gimlin of the, the voice of Sasquatch world. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And Ron also has seen, we can say paranormal activity along with this as well, because I know he's reported like blue orbs and things like that, you know, just before these things appear or disappear.
3: Mm-hmm. That's
1: correct. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Charlotte and other people. And I'll just be kind of vague about this, but many Sorry. other people, paranormal activity up there. Um, that is even weirder than what Ron has seen.
0: Very interesting. Now, we're talking about your documentary now. Dr. Simeon uh, Hine does a little bit for your documentary. Tell me about that.
1: So Dr. Simeon Hine wrote a book called Dark Matter Monsters. And when we first set out to to make uh, the paranormal Bigfoot, um, I really wanted to find somebody out there that was doing research on this paranormal activity, on this, you know, So we could equate it to the the things that people are witnessing with Sasquatch. And lo and behold, in my inbox one day, I get this article about Dr. Simeon Hine and what he's doing, what his research is about. And I just, I mean, I like leaped out of my chair and I was like, this is the guy. We've got to interview this guy. This is exactly what I'm looking for. Because I know, you know, I just have this gut instinct that, you know, we can explain this. Explain this with science, and so we contacted Simeon and and sat down with Simeon for. Well, we spent the entire day with him up in Moscow, Idaho, um, and Pullman, Washington, both kind of next door to each other. Mm-hmm. And we went to his old alma mater, Washington State University, and did an interview with him. And we were just like Mike and Jill, and I were just blown away by some of his ideas, some of his theories. They all they all made sense. They all connected. And and I feel like Simeon's got a lot of great. Um, evidence to back it up, including some research that's been done, you know, by a doctor over in, in Japan on cold fusion and all lightning. And, you know, some of these scientific things that could explain how a Sasquatch can move so fast, uh, why people don't hear them moving, um, why they can cloak, why they can... Uh, you know, why footprints will stop in the snow and they won't turn around, like they're just evaporating into thin air or transitioning through portals. So, you know, and I'll just say this much too, that we did a screening in, in Utah at Phenomicon in September of this film. And there was a government guy there that worked for the Department of Energy. And he told us that we pretty much got the science right, that Simeon got the science right. But that's all he would say because everything else was classified that he's working right. on. So. So we feel like you know Simeon has done a great job of putting this evidence together, and I would suggest everybody go out and get his book, Dark Matter Monsters, if you're interested. But um, yeah, it's just really fascinating. There's one now.
3: There's <laughs> one now. Yeah.
1: Did autograph though, Tobe? Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. I was going to say, we can get an autograph for you. <laughs>
0: what makes your documentary different from the other, from the TV shows and the other documentaries about this, this topic?
1: Well, you know, I think there's a place for everything out there for the TV shows and other YouTube videos. And we're, we're a part of that. We're a part of that community. We're, we're all storytellers. What sets us apart is our approach. You know, we um we're, we're taking more of a classical National Geographic, and I hate to compare ourselves to National Geographic because that's an institution. But we're doing something that um, that has a different look and feel to it. And you know I'm trying to break the mode as far as our philosophy is concerned, because we feel like you know a lot of Hollywood um, really can kind of sensationalize the subject matter and make it into, you know something that ends up selling ads. And instead of telling the truth. And I think that's that that lends itself to the, the craziness, the, this public image. And so, you know, we're hoping to start changing that public image. We wanna start conversations. We want people to say, you know, I watched this Bigfoot documentary. And then the other person says, oh yeah, really? And then the person says, no, you really need to watch this one. You know, it's that kind of a thing. It's like, we, we're not trying to convince anybody, but we feel like you know if we can if we can hold up the the interviewees to a certain high standard and the eyewitnesses to a certain high standard, um, then people will actually start to take notice and actually start to listen that that what is going on here is not just a fluke; it's a phenomenon, and and it's a social phenomenon, really, because because you know I people don't realize this, but the people that that, um you know, are outdoor adventurers or have hunting buddies, what they don't realize is there's a lot of people out there that aren't talking about these experiences because they're too afraid to. Okay. They're too afraid to be judged. And they have a post-traumatic kind of stress reaction or disorder that that goes along with this sighting. And so they block it out. You know, we talk about this in the first documentary. We interview a clinical psychiatrist who who goes into how, the brain processes this information. So there's so many more components to it than just a big, huge, 10-foot-tall hairy beast knocking down trees and running across highways. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it 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 gets really deep, and I think that that's something that we need to start paying attention to.
0: Now, you know, knowing – well, not so much knowing what you know, but suspecting that, you know, th- these things were able to travel – you know, maybe we travel dimensionally. Do you think there are any that – that actually exist here among us, or are they coming back and forth all the time from wherever they're coming from? You think?
1: Um, I'll keep it quick, and I'll let you. Talk, I'll let you finish that with Toad. But uh, my personal opinion is that they're they're coming back and forth on a per needed basis because they're able
2: to.
0: Uh-huh.
2: I think so. Um, you know, the Native Americans say that they walk between two worlds. Uh, they're they they're on a priority point on the pacific northwest totem poles which is the bottom section i just saw one today in front of a casino an obvious sasquatch um and so this is uh this is also the the way that ufos are being described as well uh flitting about uh you know for the most part ultimate domain control over the airspace or the spaces in between right this is the new jargon that is coming out of Pentagon officials—that we need to gear ourselves to understand this phenomena as it being interdimensional. Um, what does that look like, and how do you engage it? Well, you just kind of sit back and wait. Um, I think you can alter your consciousness and experience this stuff. Yay! <laughs> Let's all do it right now. But I think you don't have to—you don't have to pull a Joe Rogan and start popping, uh, you know, mushrooms to do this. Um I think laughter will initiate an altered consciousness. I think music, drumming in particular, um we didn't talk about this enough, but there's something unique about drumming that goes back, you know, to the roots of Africa really. Mm-hmm. Um certainly the Sami people as well, Native Americans big time. Uh, and that is really the first way I would suggest people go out into the woods is You know go out and sit on a tailgate with a good friend and bring a drum with you it doesn't matter if it's a pretty drum at all it could be an upside down you know five gallon bucket um they seem to be entertained by that and engage you with that and you may hear something back similar Mm -hmm. but you're also opening something through drumming i believe and um you know you got to be careful with what that with, with what that could be but that would have something to do with the vibrational state and how vibrations can change density and uh that's that's a different kind of territory that uh, simi and hein would probably have to be involved with to understand but that's where we are with the uh, you know wh- where i research and how i research
0: i was just going to ask you because you mentioned that uh, you know it's, it's kind of like what i do with trigger objects right so you're trying to try you're trying to get a reaction What about hitting the side of trees? I mean, I've seen people do that too.
2: I just think that that's ridiculous at this point. I I don't know anybody who's seen a Bigfoot hit the side of a tree. Now, they may very well do that because it does sound like a Louisville slugger cracking. Brett's heard it. I've heard it. We've, you know, if you're in this long enough, you will hear it. Down in the Olympics, it kind of sounds like um, a wet log hitting the side of a wet log, which is perfect for where they're at, right, on the coastline. Um, so what is that? Man, oh man, I don't think it's them hitting the side of trees. I'd, I think you can get a response with that, but um, I think that has to do with them flitting about between these two worlds. And that's almost like the consequence of them going through the back door, the front door. Uh, you're hearing the after effect or the inertia of this paranormal consequence Mm -hmm. and um so yeah you could do that but if you want to if you want to have these prolonged experiences that uh are unique um I say go out there and kind of you know look like uh look like you're going out there for a luau don't go out there in camo show up in, in a loud crazy shirt like you're not hiding um have a good time don't go looking for them. Find a cool spot. You're going to stay a while. The longer, the better. Mm-hmm. And um, go to one of these crazy place names. And that's that's the way I suggest have an experience.
0: How long does it take you guys to uh, make the documentary?
1: So we started filming in June of 2020. And then it was released um, in June of 2022. Okay. Um and then we, we captured some of the footage for the sequel, of course, you know, while we were doing the first film. And then um, the second film came out. It's kind of a soft release, October 17th. We're hoping to ex- be expanding to Amazon and some of the other platforms here, you know, within, I'll just say by the end of the year. Um, so, yeah, it, it takes quite a while. There's lots, of, there's lots of times of pause, you know, because of the weather or rescheduling or something like that but um you know i would say that uh you know probably 19 20 days of filming and then another like four to five months of editing it's not a quick process i'll I'll just tell you that much especially when it's just three people i mean typically these things have many more people but you know and, and i'm not complaining because i think I think having a small crew to do a documentary is really oh. ideal for a number of reasons other than burnout. Um, mm-hmm. It's nice to, to be able to kind of maintain that consistent voice and control. And like I said before, to, to go places in one car, mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> it, it takes a while. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. All right, last question. You're standing on the Vegas Strip. And there's a couple other guys, two or three guys that have documentaries, you know, on Bigfoot out there. How do you get people to watch yours?
1: Man, that's kind of the best question I think I've ever heard, Charlotte. Um,
3: <laughs>
1: wow. So you go first.
2: <laughs> oh man. Well, you know, there's. There's one angle you could go with. It is Vegas, after all. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Flash of Beauty. It's called Flash of Beauty, Brett. I mean, well, you know, well. get, their, yeah.
0: get their attention, right. yeah.
2: Well, yeah. Sure, there yeah. might be some Gentlemen's club named the Flash <laughs> there you of Beauty go.
3: Yeah.
2: in right. Vegas. Right. I had not thought of that. I would tell them to go to the Linktree site, where it's a hub of information. Just put up that giant banner, Linktree, a Flash of Beauty um, once they get into that hub and they see that teaser that uh, Brett and Mike put together, mm-hmm. uh, the, the trailer, rather, of part one and part two, uh, these trailers are pulling people into this documentary. It's, uh, it's just such an accomplishment of what they've done. You know, it's such an important film to see, even in the world we live in where we have a lot of important visual things happening to us. Mm-hmm. This film is, uh, is not a distraction. It, uh, it's embracing the truth in a beautiful way that has never been told quite like this before. And I just would encourage people to watch those trailers because those trailers, you know, they're gonna take you to an hour and 45 minutes roughly of something very similar, but way more in depth and strange. Okay, cool. If, cool. If I'm So if
1: I'm standing on the Las Vegas Strip and there's a couple of people there, I'm gonna look at them and say, what are you guys doing here in Las Vegas? The excitement's in the forest. Prove it to you. Watch these documentaries, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about.
0: Absolutely, guys, it's been fun. Thank you for coming on. I so appreciate it. How can people find you?
1: So uh, the best way to find there's two great ways to find it: uh, Facebook, a flashy beauty, Bigfoot revealed on Facebook, uh-huh. and our YouTube channel, um, a flashy beauty, Bigfoot revealed. And what's cool about that? What we're doing is we're we're posting the entire interviews, the raw footage for the interviews. We've gone and we've cut out the, um, the questions and, you know, coughing and that kind of stuff. But everything else is being left in and we're doing it for virtually every interview that we've done for both films. So those are, are going to be rolling out um, every few days. We're going to do quite a bit more towards the end of the year. And then uh, once the second film is out, has been out there for quite a while, we'll start doing those interviews as well. And, you know, look, we just want to share knowledge. We want to share information and, and we hate to think that, you know, people like Ron Moorhead or Peter Byrne or Henry Franzoni, we hate to think that this stuff would be left on the cutting room floor. I mean, nobody learns anything if nobody ever gets to see it and experience it. So I would highly recommend folks go to, go to our YouTube channel, Subscribe because you get notified as to when we drop new interviews. We dropped another one tonight. Um, And, and you know, watch them. And you, mm-hmm. you people are going to be stunned
0: mm-hmm. when they
1: listen to these interviews and watch what these uh, men and women have to say.
0: Absolutely. Again, thank you guys so much. Love to have you on a later date to talk, you know, more about your work and everything. I mean, th- th- this was terrific. Thank you. Yeah,
1: absolutely, Charlotte. Thank you for having us. Appreciate thank it. Thank you, Charlotte.
0: Uh, Take all care. right. You guys have a great rest of your week and good luck with your documentary.
1: You too. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oops. Oh, there it goes. All right. That was absolutely fascinating. You guys know I'm all about Sasquatch. Okay. We got a little change of uh, schedule. Barry uh, Muter could not be with us tomorrow night, so I'm flipping the schedule. So tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. will be the interview I did with uh, Anna Maria Manalo. That's going to be over at the YouTube site, youtube.com, uh, at what is it? youtube.com forward slash <laughs> at California Haunts Radio. Uh, so check us out. It's youtube.com, right? YouTube, yeah. See, it's one of those nights. youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. Anna Maria Manala will be over there tomorrow, 6:30 p.m. Pacific for that interview, and then Mary Muter will be with us uh, Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific. So that will be a live interview. So I just want to give you guys a heads up on that. I want to thank you all for coming tonight. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here at California Hunts Radio. And we're just trying to get the word out of our little old show. But anyway, uh, thank you all for coming tonight. I really appreciate it. And I will see, well, I will be in the chat room tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific over at YouTube. All right. See you there. Have a great evening.